We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, let's get back to John A1 with a question here. Based on pure based on pure talent, how does the 2023 Notre Dame defensive roster stack up against the other really good defenses of the modern era, 2012, 2017, 2018, 2020, 2021? That's a good one. It, it, I'll say this. Number one, right away, defensive line to me is not as good as 2012 uh, or 2020, in my opinion. 2020, 2021, I'm not sure of. 2018, definitely not. 2017, uh, eh, you know, potentially it's not there yet, but it could potentially be better than that group. Linebacker-wise, not nearly as good as some of the groups they've had in the past. Definitely not the 2012 and 2018 group. No, no. Especially because 2012 was more about Manti, although I thought Danny Spond was a very underrated player on that team that year at Rover. And, and, you know, you had Dan Fox, who's just kind of, eh, you know, Carlo Calabrese was just kind of, eh, but Manti was great. Danny Spawn, very underrated. You could technically call Prince Shembone a linebacker, but he was a, he was a defensive end. He, you know, yeah. He's run that know. three, four back. Then yeah. He was a defensive yeah. end. Uh, 2018 had a great linebacker duo inside with, with Tavon Coney and, and uh, Drew Tranquil. 2020, you know, look, the linebacking core should be better than the 2020 group, but it isn't as of right now, because Shane Simon was just not good in 2018. And Drew White. Really bad. Yeah. Drew White was solid in 2020, good I thought. Yeah, solid player. And then yeah. you had Jeremiah at Rover. But you won't have anybody as good as Jeremiah, but you could be better across the board than that than that trio. Where they stack up really well against all those groups except 2018, as I think they're better in the secondary than all those teams except 2018. They've got to – the safeties have to show me something this year before I'm ready to say they're better than a 2018 group because Alohi and Jalen were really good in 2018. Yeah. Now, this secondary has a lot more depth, especially at corner, than that team had. But, like, even Tariq Bracey stepped up late in the year. If you remember, uh, Troy Pride got hurt, didn't play against Pitt. Dante Vaughn started. Dante was banged up already, and he struggled. They put Tariq in, in the second half, Tariq just locked down the Pitt receivers. And then, like, they came out in the Florida State game that year, and Florida State came stone deep on Tariq, and he they went, like, 0 for 7, throwing at Tariq in that game with DeAndre Francois, quarterback. So, to me, like, that secondary was really good. It just didn't have a lot of depth. This secondary has to show me at safety. It can be as good as anywhere close to that safety group. But uh, the safety, the defensive backs, in my opinion, are better than they were in 2012. 
not by a ton because that 2012 group was pretty solid, but uh, you know, you, you, to me, they were definitely better than 2017. They were better than 2020 for sure. And I think they're better in 2021 by a pretty decent margin to be honest. Look, t- last year's secondary was pretty good. You had to play here, play there, but it was pretty good. Yeah. And especially down the stretch and late in the season, they were really good in my opinion. It just, you know, they, they didn't get a lot of love and a lot of people are still, you know, blaming Cam Hart for what he did in the opener. And he had a couple of dumb plays against North Carolina. And then they just kind of let that define his whole season. When in reality, Cam Hart had a lot of good film last year, Ryan, a lot of good film. And that's why you didn't hear from him in the second half of the season. When you don't hear from a cornerback for like half a season, which is basically what happened after Carolina, that means he's doing something. And that's pretty much what – there's a reason that teams kept throwing at Benjamin Morrison. There's a reason for it, even after all the interceptions, because the option was what? Throw at Cam Hart? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, uh, nope, not going to do that. So I actually like the secondary, Ryan. The defensive line has potential – but it's a big question mark, and the linebacker position is another big question mark for me. What are your thoughts on that? We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, Everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Yeah, I mean, I, I secondary was the first one that came to mind. I mean, I was just starting to reminisce about, I mean, 2020 was, what was that? That was Nick McLeod and Clarence Lewis, right? Was the corners in that group. Obviously, you're, I mean, substantially better there, right? I was thinking about the 2012. I remember Zeke Mata was one of the safeties. Was Jamara Slaughter, was he one of the other safeties in 2012? He got hurt, though, yes. He got hurt, yeah. So he got hurt against, uh, I think, uh, Michigan. It was like around there. And then yeah. Matthias Farley replaced him in the starting lineup. And it was yeah. him and Zeke Mata. Zeke Mata, yeah. Yep. And then Elijah yeah. Shoemate was the third safety in that rotation. He played. He was kind of their nickel guy of that year at times as well. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. And I just remember that that was just a rock solid group, but I mean, I really do think that this, the 2023 defense, man, like I think there's a bad rap going around a little bit. I mean, yeah, there's, there's a lot of question marks. There's some wild cards that need to kind of come to the forefront, but I think the defense has a chance to be good. I mean, I, cause I think when you look at the, I mean, that defensive back crew, right. The, the corners that you have are, 
it's going to be one of the best corner groups in all of college football. If you get some good play out of a safety group of Xavier Watts and maybe if Clarence Lewis moves back there and Ramon Henderson and DJ Brown, like if you're just good at safety, that secondary is going to be one of the best in college football this year. Defensive line wise, I think there's a lot of untapped talent, man. Like I, I don't think people talk enough about the fact that, like, yeah, Jordan Patelho didn't play a ton last year, but he still had the second most sacks on the team, man. Like, he still had right. it with, like, four and a half sacks. Like, that kid's a really talented pass rusher if he is a consistent player that you can count on. If you can count on him, I think he's going to give you a lot of production. We've talked about Joshua Burnham a ton. I think that he has a chance to be a good football player. Riley Mills is a wild card, but if Riley Mills takes a step up, that unit comes from a, a little bit of a question mark to – potentially very good in 2023. I think that he has that type of unlocking potential. You need to figure out the depth of the nose tackle position, but I think the point blank for me is that the defensive line does have a lot of upside. There's a lot of upside up front. Linebacker has upside in the fact that there's a lot of talent, but I don't know what to expect of that unit, man. Like I just don't know what to expect of the linebacker group. I think for me, J.D. Bertrand is a good football player. I expect him to be a good football player. There's a lot of talent outside of that with the Maris Leufels of the world. It was an obviously talented kid. You have Jalen Sneed. You have Nolan Ziegler. Talent's not the issue at linebacker. I just don't know what to expect. I mean, but I do think that if everything clicks, and again, law of averages say not everything's going to click, that it could be a really good defense. And one of the best defenses they've had in a couple of years, just th- this one is a – this is a up and this is a very volatile group. I think that's the best way to. I don't it. think they need to hit the inside straight to have a really good defense. I think another another mistake that I think people are making is we're still working with the assumption that last year's defense was bad. It wasn't. It was still a pretty good defense. It was a top thirty national defense. It was a good defense. It just wasn't good enough. That's the difference. Like this isn't a. They weren't Brian Van Gorder's twenty fourteen or twenty fifteen or twenty sixteen defense last year. They're still a pretty pretty solid defense, right? Top thirty defense. It's just you need to be top 15. You need to be top 10. That's the difference, right? And it's not as good as it was. So I think sometimes people act like, boy, their defense just sucked last year. No, it didn't. They held Ohio State to 22 points. They held, they held Clemson to 14 points. And let's be honest, all 14 of their points came when the game was over, right? I mean, if we're, if we're going to be honest about it, right? I mean, USC scored 38. Part of that was on your offense, if we're going to be real about that too. You didn't play well against USC, though. The defense locked North Carolina down until the game was over, and North Carolina got a bunch of garbage points late. I mean, so the defense played bad in some of the games. You're like, dude, how 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 are you playing bad? How'd you give up that many points to UNLV? Right? Like, how many? How'd you give up that many points to Navy? In the big games, they played solid football. They did. I mean, you gave up you gave up thirty uh, thirty eight points in the bowl game. You gave up two pick sixes. That's not on the defense. You know what yeah. I mean? And and they needed to pull out some fake. You know, some, some chicanery on special teams to get another touchdown. The defense wasn't great in the, against South Carolina, but it wasn't terrible, and it was really good in the second half. I mean, really good. So I think there's a misconception about how the defense was last year. It was still a good defense. It just wasn't a great defense, and it needs to be a great defense. And so I think the defense is going to be solid again, uh, it, It's at least. And I think we're going to see some improvement from certain position groups just because of the of – the, experience that they're going to have in that system now that's not a good thing in my opinion you don't bank on your guys needing to be in a system for two or three years before it starts being better that's not a good thing but it will happen you will see improvement in that regard 
but will it be improvement to mean you're just you go from good to pretty good or are you going to go from good to title contender that's the question and that's going to require some changes from a coaching standpoint as much as this is going to require players stepping up but I, I did want to say that Ryan I, I just feel like there is a lot of misconceptions of or negativity about the defense that is way overblown right like way overblown it's be critical yes but when people start talking about like Al Golden's the next BBG, give me a break. Notre Dame wins a title in 2015 if they have Al Golden's defense, in my opinion. You know, and and say what you want, but I'm pretty sure Al Golden would have known what to do with Manti with Jalen Smith. Here's if Jalen if they would have asked Jalen Smith to do what they're asking uh, uh, Maris to do, he's an All American. Uh, just Maris can't do that. That's the that's the problem. Jalen was a pretty smart football player. So it just – that's that's I, my whole thing, Ryan. I think one of the biggest misconceptions is that there's not talent on the defense. I feel I feel like people keep talking about, you know, they need to get this guy and that guy in here. And it's just like, hey, guys, you know, Joshua Burnham's pretty talented, man. Like there's, right. there's some talented dudes on that defense, you know. I mean, Xavier Watts is a talented kid. You know, the, Riley Mills is a very talented right. kid. Like there's a lot of talent on that defense. Does a lot of it need to take a step forward this year? For yes. sure. That doesn't mean it's bad. That just means it was solid. And but that's it true at Georgia. Could be better. Somebody's got to step up and replace Jalen Carter. That wasn't yeah. Jalen Carter last season, right? I mean, that's part of college football. Who those guys are going to be, I don't know. We'll find out. But somebody needs to do it, in my opinion. We had an interesting one here. I want to read this, Ryan, from Scott Hoyland. I really appreciate Scott saying this. He goes, I worked for Fighting Irish Media when I went to Notre Dame. Notre Dame has the physical resources, cameras, et cetera, to make all these cool videos you have ideas on, but they spend employee time on other projects, such as video board content for home games, projects for other sports, and some content for NBC broadcasts, which, again, I don't think helps the program. And I don't know if it helps the student athletes. I don't know specifically what they're doing, but I really think they're missing out on opportunities, in my big, in my opinion. And, and it's good that they do things for other sports programs, but then I expand your – student resources to have people that work with basketball to have people work with you know other sports because that that's another area where nil is a big thing now you know the women's softball team who's pretty good like i th- th- did they make the ncaa tournament last year i think they, I think did. they did they were i think they, they were did, top yeah. 25 team most of the year like have some students that are geared towards putting out cool videos from that they do some decent stuff with them but like those are things that I do because those girls need to get their names out there more in, in social media aspects and different things because, like that because of because, the NIL can really help them because some of them are paying to go to school. Well, I, I was going to say, though, the NIL thing, I feel like people just think it's just a football thing. It's like all these right. athletes can yes. take advantage of yes. it. They can all take advantage yes. of it. Like Michigan does a really good job of promoting Benjamin Morrison's sister. Have you seen the stuff they put out for her? She's haven't. like a world-class – like a like – a, Big time NCA uh, gymnast at Michigan, oh. and he's always retweeting stuff that Michigan does about her. And so uh, that's just something I think Notre Dame should take a lot of pride in. And again, are you promoting NIL? No, you're not. But you're promoting your student athletes, making them more visible, getting more excitement about them, which then makes them more marketable. So you yeah. are helping them in ways that you should be helping them, in my opinion. And so that's just the things that I wish that they would do a better job of. And again. They're not going to listen to me because they don't care what I have to say. But hopefully somebody that, that can make a difference there can start doing more of this because limiting access and, and not doing more of this stuff doesn't help. Your, it hurts your program, in my opinion. 
Real quick answer to this question from Jimmy McGill. What's taking so long to announce Gino Gadulli as quarterback's coach? Guys, this is just how it goes. This is every year. People ask the same question last year about Al Golden. They asked the same question last year about Harry Heastan. This is just what Notre Dame does, and, and it's 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 fine. They, Notre Dame wants to make sure they never have to do another George O'Leary situation, and there's nothing wrong with that. They know he's going to coach. He's around. It's fine. Just fine. I, I, it, I forgot about the George O'Leary thing. Forgot about yeah. that. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yep. So let's get back up here. We've got something here from Coach Bent, 574. This question is, for recruits that are driving distance to campus, i.e. Drake Bowen, aside from probably hotel costs, what differs between an uh, official visit and unofficial visit? Well, I mean, it's just it's just that, it, look, official visits, you get paid for everything, right? I mean, I don't know that you mentioned, you know, aside from the travel stuff. Also on official visits, there's more of an emphasis on like from the tour perspective, like on an unofficial, your tour and, you, you know, the facilities, the football facilities and everything. Official visits do more of also the, we're going to take you through the dorms. We're going to take you through the academic facilities, that type of stuff. So it's a little more in depth. It's not just football. It's a little bit more in all encompassing of everything, which is like, a that's a big reason outside of obvious that they pay for everything on the official versus the unofficial. Right. They're usually shorter trips as well. That's the other thing. Um, so that's another difference between the two. And there's usually no overnight unless it's like the night before you'll stay at a hotel with your family. But again, it's, it's, I think you can pay for like one meal. I, I think on an unofficial, like you can provide some food on an unofficial, but you, it's different than when you're on an official. Right. All right. Let's get to some more questions here. We've got one from Michael Collins. Uh, here we go. His question is for dual sport athletes with what determines which sport their scholarship counts against. I believe it's it used to be Ryan where you had to if you were like on a football scholarship you had if you were going to play football you had to be on football scholarship I think that's changed and the reason they did that is because like Miami was getting these guys on track scholarships like Santa I think Santana Moss was on a track scholarship at Notre Dame but Miami was getting around the eighty five scholarship limit because they were putting these kids on the track team. And then they were spending. So I think it's more about you've got to be able to you've got to spend the time with that sport's got to be your primary thing. Like, for example, uh, well, actually, I shouldn't use an example because I don't know if he was on scholarship. Like that that's really what it comes down to is it's got to be that uh, you've got to spend a lot of your time on it. I don't know the specific rule of football because like Notre Dame had a, a walk on punter last year, Brian Dowd. I, he played on the soccer. He's actually a better soccer player than he is a football player. I don't know if he's on scholarship on the soccer team though. Right. Like that, that I don't, that I don't know. He may be a walk on for both. I'm not sure. Yeah. So I, I couldn't tell you what the specific uh, rule is on that, but like, I know, you know, if you, if, you, if you're on football scholarship, you're going to, you know, football is always going to rule. So I, I'm, I'm honestly, Michael, not hundred percent sure on what the rule is now. It's changed a couple of times over the years. Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, so it's like, you know, Drake Bowen is going to play baseball at Notre Dame, but he's a football scholarship, right? I mean, Jordan Faison, I know he's a preferred walk-on, but he's a lacrosse kid. Like, that's kind of where his initial, I guess, I guess that kind of determines preference. Yeah. All right, let's go to this next question here. We have another one from John A1. John says, since 2000, what was your favorite Notre Dame team to watch? I'll start. I'll never forget that 2005 team. I'll 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 say mine real quick too because it's 100 percent the same as John. That 2005 team, man, like 
Samarja, Stovall, like that's just ingrained in me. Brady Quinn, like that was the team for me. That was the and it also came after just such a bummer of a stretch. Yes. You know, the Davy that Davy era was miserable. Like Ty gives you hope in 20, 2002 and then just fall off a cliff. And then you're coming off of like the worst recruiting class like ever at Notre Dame and Ty's last year. And you're just like, people are predicting though. Like I remember watching, was it Kirk Herbstreet or Lee Corso? I was like, they're going to lose their first six games. And it's just like, you come out against Pitt and you're like, whoa. Like, and I believe that was a Larry Fitzgerald Pitt team. And you're like, whoa, this team is not bad. And, well, I, and then, I, re- I remember it was like one of the first couple games, Brian. I was like, who the heck is Jeff Samarja? Like, I had right. no idea who he was. Right. It was just like, whoa, like he, man. he had a pretty good game in the insight.com. I was in the insight.com bowl the year before against Oregon State. He had a, a pretty good year. But, like, you know, then the next week they go on the road and they beat number three Michigan. And even in the loss to Michigan State, it was an exciting game. It was 44 to 41. They ripped up Washington. They ripped up Purdue. And you're like, man, this team can score. And they were so bad offensively before that year. It was just fun to watch, you know, and and that team played with confidence. You know, took USC down to the wire. Uh, the 2015 team for me was really fun to watch offensively. Probably my most fun offense to watch because they were just a home run, home run waiting to happen that year. The problem is, is that defense was so bad. It just takes away from how fun that team was. It really was. So since 2000, I'd say 05 and and eight and 15. For the two teams, which means we need to be getting ready for Notre Dame to have a great run in 2025. If yes. we're going to keep with that, you know, that, that trend of exciting teams to watch. So let's um, hope, man. Yeah, I know. Well, hopefully they can happen a little sooner. Well, I, hopefully it's like a three year stretch getting yeah. into the 2025 yeah. season, but yes, yes. Another quick one from John a one Michael Mayer is a big loss. What is the ceiling of the talent in the Notre Dame tight end room in 23 and how does it compare to 2012 to 19 tight end rooms in Notre Dame? Let you take first crack at this, Ryan. I, I mean, John. For me, the production is going to be allocated to different spots. You can't. You can't expect. Well, I mean, one. I don't think anybody's going to expect one guy to to handle the loss of a Michael Mayer, right? If we're just talking about the production side of things, still going to be a talented room. I mean, at the end of the day, especially when Eli Raritan comes back as well, sometime during the season. Because I mean, there's a lot of teams in college football, in my opinion, that if you told them you could have a tight end room of Mitchell Evans, Holden Stace, Eli Raritan, Cooper Flanagan coming in. Like, that's pretty dang good, man. I mean, it is. It's a really talented room. So it may look similar to some past teams, though, in the sense that I I think it might be a little more spread out in spots. You know, like it, it might be in, in that regard. Like, I don't expect one tight end to have 700 yards next year. Maybe one guy has 400 yards. Another guy has 200 yards. Maybe you have a third tight end that has a few catches. Like I think that the production is just going to be spread out a little bit more, but from a talent perspective, there's not an issue of talent at the tight end position at Notre Dame. It's just when you had Michael Mayer for three years, nobody else behind him is going to get the crazy production. There's just more question marks to who they're going to be the guy that actually step up, right? Is it going to be Mitchell Evans as a pass receiver? Is it going to be Holden States as a pass receiver? There's just uncertain uh, uncertainty of production after being behind Michael Mayer, but I do not think it's a lack of talent. I think it is still an incredibly talented room that a lot of teams in college football would, would trade for. How's the stack up from 2012 to 2019? Uh, less proven and just as deep. That's what I would say. Uh, in, in, in some instances, deeper. There's a lot of tight ends on the roster with talent. Now there's some banged up guys, but there's a lot of talent there. I think Ryan, you nailed it. There's no Michael Mayer. 
But you know who else doesn't have a Michael Mayer next year? Everyone not that's outside of Athens, Georgia. Yes. I mean, that's just, that's the reality of it. Right. So uh, I think they'll be fine. Yeah. The, the more and more I go back and study Mitchell Evans, I'm like, dude, with another year in the weight room and, and getting more reps, because he missed a ton of reps last offseason that for a kid like him who was converting to tight end, I don't think I appreciated it enough how that could slow him down early. Like he was not very yeah. good when he first came back. I'm like, why is this kid playing? He's he doesn't look 100 percent. But you're like, this kid missed a lot of development time that he needed because he's not a tight end by trade. It, but you saw him get better and better and better. He looked good in the bowl game. I mean, there's a he's couple a ta- more balls. He's that a came talented as well. kid, man. He he's is. And you get kid. him another year in the weight room, and he's going to have a chance to. So I had a chance to meet his dad after uh, the Virginia Tech game in 21. And he comes from good genes. Like his dad's a big fella. So he's going to, and I mean, like, like big fella, like broad shouldered, like big, very nice. I met him and his mom, very nice people. But uh, he's going to fill out. And he looks like, I, I said this before, him and Joel look like, if you just look at him like from here up, they look like they're 15 years old. I mean, it's, it's <laughs> hilarious. So the point is, he's going to fill out. Where Michael Mayer showed up in Notre Dame as a true freshman, looked like a, a third-year NFL pro physically. I mean, he just looked like a grown-up. Mitchell Evans looks like a little kid who happens to be 6'5", 6'6", 250 pounds. The point is, is going to uh, he's going to hit a growth spurt and, and take off, in my opinion. So I wouldn't be shocked, and I love Holden Stace as a player. I really like Holden Stace as a player. That two, that duo could be really good. Now Kevin Bauman's more to a number three role, which is where he is. And then you can be patient, let Neil Raritan come back and get healthy, which is important. Yes. He, the most important – I don't care if he doesn't play a snap this year. As long as he comes out of it healthy, that's the key for me. You know, and then you're bringing in Cooper Flanagan, who's a good football player. Yeah. Yeah. So – uh, Brian, those are Brian, yeah. Brian Mitchell Evans could be like 265 pounds. He's got that type of frame, man. He is a big old boy. He's a big yeah. kid. I mean, he yeah. really is. I I mean, honestly, from on the hoof, I mean, if that kid's going to be six five, six six, two hundred and sixty pounds, be able to move pretty well and be able to block. I mean, that's an NFL profile right there. Like, there's no reason that if he's developed properly, he shouldn't play on the next level. Like, he has that type of physical demeanor yeah. to him, right? So. Yeah, if he's developed properly, there's there's no issue with talent in the tight end room. No issue at okay. all. Okay, I'm not interviewing for any jobs in Notre Dame, nor do I want any jobs in Notre Dame, nor would I take any jobs in Notre Dame. So please stop putting into the chat jobs for me to take in Notre Dame. I would greatly appreciate that. Love the support. Thank you for that. But um, we don't. it's not happening, and nor do I want it to happen. So let's just kind of chill a little bit on that. All right, let's get to some more questions here, Ryan. We've got another one from – let's get down here. Let's mix up some of these a little bit. Let's go with Scott L. Let's get a, uh, one from Scott L. here, Ryan. Do you see any path for Tyler Buckner to beat out Sam Hartman? What would he have to do to overcome Sam Hartman's superior experience or is Buckner's running abilities an equalizer? Look, there's a path for Tyler Buckner to win this job. He's just going to have to play significantly better than than Sam Hartman and be just a consistent, dynamic playmaker. Yeah, and then also be able to do the things, the 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 everyday things. Right? It was just, can you also make the easy reads? Can you make the easy throws? Can you do the simple stuff? And if he can start doing that, and then be a playmaker, turn you know, limit the turnovers, and sure, he could beat out Sam Hartman. I'm not expecting it, but he could. And to, to your to your question, Scott, part of that is his running ability. Because if it just comes down to who's the better passer, Tyler Buckner's not beating out Sam Hartman in 2023. It's not going to happen. But you can't you can't eliminate that, in my opinion. 
from the conversation because that is part of his game is the running part. So is there a path? Absolutely. There's a path. It's just going to be hard because Sam Hartman's really good. And that's why I'm hoping that Tyler can embrace it a little bit. And I would still have a role for him. I, I, I'll say the same thing now that I said in 20, 2021, if you, you've got to fight Tyler Buckner's too dynamic of a football player, then I'd have some kind of role for him. Yeah. Like you just, you have to have some kind of role for him in my opinion, something. Well, I, I think I think it comes down to dependability. Like that's a big thing. I mean, Sam Hartman back to back years has thrown what thirty eight and thirty nine touchdowns, yeah. thirty nine and thirty. I mean, he has been a consistent. You know what he is the last two years for Wake Forest. You know what he is, Tyler. You don't always know what he is because of injuries that have obviously set him back a little bit. And then there's been a little bit of up and down play when he has played. You know, it it comes down to you have to match the dependability of a Sam Hartman to give yourself a chance. Like you have to, because at the end of the day, that's where then it's like, Oh man, both players are playing really dang good football, right? Like they're all a similar wavelength, but like then that's where Tyler Buckner's running ability is like, Oh, that might be the, that, that is the equalizer. Like that's the separator right. at that point. But it, it's just that Sam Hartman's just such, such you, he's such a more known commodity. He's such a more dependable football player right now. You need Tyler to be that type of guy because, hey, Tyler was looking really good last preseason going into the game, but it's like after game two, injury happens again, right? There's just not much dependability in that regard, and that's what Ty- that you think that that's what Sam Hartman brings to the field this year is that you know what he is. He's a known commodity. You know what to expect. You know what to depend on. I'm sorry, I'm laughing at you, Ryan, but our, I love our chat. Our our, our people are so great. Are, Matt, are we talking about? Did you Matt, did you see the Matt thing that they were saying on the board? On. Matt, no. Matt 2011 GT said, "Dang it, not even Driscoll wants to coach at Notre Dame." <laughs> and then Ted Wozniak said, "It's because Notre Dame won't pay his buyout." That's what I heard. <laughs> oh my goodness gracious, that's really funny. Yeah. Oh, thank you guys for that. I needed that good chuckle. Uh, here, here we go, Ryan. John A1 says, who is the best Notre Dame player to wear number seven in the modern era, which is since 2000? I mean, Will Fuller was the first one that popped in my head. Yeah, there's there's three that pop in my head immediately. Isaiah yeah. Foskey, Will Fuller, and Jimmy Clausen. Will Fuller for me. Will Fuller yeah. for me. Yeah. It's uh, Yeah. It's uh, Wait a minute. Hold on. What's, I always get Will Fuller's number. I always think that he was he was number fifteen at Notre Dame. Fifteen as right because the NFL, right, and and because he wore in the NFL too. Uh, But um, Will played on better teams. Jimmy Clausen's junior season was unbelievable. Those would be my two best. I I always had a thing. I always still thought if Carlo Holiday would have been able to play in a Lou Holtz offense, he would have been really special. He's another number seven I liked. But those are my three. Carlisle was had, a great athlete, man. Carlisle needed athlete. to be playing in a Tony Rice offense, not not one that they tried to have him do. But he was still been really I, good. I still remember when Brett Favre set the all time leading uh leader in completions. Carlisle Holiday was one that caught that football, man. Oh, really? I did I did yes. not know that. I did not yep. know that. When he when he set the completion record, I forget who held it before him. Maybe it was Dan Marino. That sounds kind of right to me. But when he set the completion record, it was Carlisle Holiday who was on the receiving end of a Brett Favre pass that year. Interesting. Very interesting. All right, Ryan, let's go to the next question here. We have one from uh, Michael Collins. Are analysts required to live in South Bend area or can they work remotely? I'm sure they could work remotely depending on what their tasks are. 
but I think you'd always want to have a guy around at least to some degree, but I'm sure if you're going to have someone who's doing advanced scouting, I don't think he necessarily needs to be in the office. The problem is, is you're going to have other people involved with him. But I think with all the technology today, Ryan, of getting film and zooms and stuff like that and getting, I mean, I can put some together, turn it into a PDF and have it over to you in five seconds. You know what I mean? Like there's ways to do it. If, if you can get the right guy and it, it just would depend on what his role is. He can't be part of like the team, you know, like if he's going to be like, helping with the offense and preparing for the upcoming game, you need them there. If it's someone who's doing future scouting, that is almost like a, a scout in the NFL, right? Where they, they don't need to – like a lot of scouts don't live – most scouts don't live like where the team is. They live in the regions that they're covering. And they just need to be at the facilities when they have their meetings or yes, stuff. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. So uh, it could be something like that. It, depending on the role, if you have an analyst whose job is is built around, hey, you're scouting the rest of the country to make sure we have good, we know who, if when the transfer portal opens, we know who can fit. That person doesn't necessarily need to be at Notre Dame per, per se. So I think there's plenty of roles you could find for someone to not have to be there. So it's a good question, Michael. Good question. Here's another one from Scott L. Do you, we already answered this one. Oh, we did this. I'm no, sorry. This is the one from Scott L. I wanted to catch gotcha. What could we learn from spring practice that would make us think that the second year under Golden will be much better? Are there changes we can verify or specific things to look for? That's a good question. Uh, I just want to see guys being more sound in what they're doing and more aggressive. I want to see less guys running around doing a million different things and just, hey, be good at something. Find something that they're good at. I want to see a more attacking defense, Ryan. I want to see a team that that shoots gaps a little bit more with their front, doesn't just eat up space with their, their front as much as we saw last year. So just overall aggressiveness is, is something I want to see. And then less assignment mistakes. Yeah, I think we can start seeing that in practice. You, you want to see guys that, that are where they need to be more and more, guys that understand, um, you know, kind of, hey, here's, here's where we're at and – we know what we're supposed to do and we're in position. We're not giving up the big plays because, because we were out of position. We're not getting ripped up. If the offense is going to do something, they need to earn it. I think those are all verifiable things that we can see this spring that if that's the case, then you feel good about the the defense taking a step this year. I think those are the things that I would look at. Well, and I think that playing faster is obviously a big thing that we talk about. Cause one thing we talked about last year before Ohio state, Brian was that Jim Knowles at his previous stops, the first year, it was kind of like, you know, a lot of learning curves and they really didn't play incredibly well. Then year two, year three, it was where they really picked it up and became a much better unit, obviously. I'm interested to see if there's some lights that go on in the spring in this offseason. Like, is Maris Loyfowl all of a sudden not look like a deer in the headlights at times? Like, are there some safeties that are like, okay, I get this now, and they start just playing faster? That's the biggest thing for me is I want to see what the speed – on the field looks like from these players because there is a look, I, I think that there was much, there was too much put on a lot of players places here. We talked about that a ton, but there is the other side of it. it's like, yes, that might be true, but it might also click in year two then, right? Like they might retain it and they might be better for it long-term, at least in the system itself. So I think that natural maturation from a, just understanding what the expectations of a player are, I think that you'll see if a guy is really starting to get it and something clicks, you start playing faster. You look like you're moving at a different speed comparative to years past. And I, I hope we see that. I really do because there's a lot of speed and a lot of talent on that defense that I just feel like has not been tapped into enough. 
Let's get to a couple super chats here. One is from Chino Aguirre. Thank you very much, Chino. Says Chino good said, job, IB team. Uh, it's just kind of a comment. Sorry, right? Uh, can we please get some gold in them uniform pants? I want to ask you this question, Ryan. Yeah. Does Notre Dame need to either A, change their pants, or B, go back to the old pants-helmet combo? Because I love the shiny gold helmet, but it just it looks terrible with the pants that they have. The, the mustard pants they have now it looks terrible. <laughs> they definitely need to change the pants. I don't think anybody would disagree with that. I, I'm just trying to – man, I mean, yeah. I mean, gold pants would be great. I mean – you definitely need to accent the gold a little bit more than just the helmet, in my opinion. Right? Like, there, there's just not enough gold. I think I agree with Chino in this. Like, there's just not enough gold. So whether it's just gold pants in general, whether it's you know different types of p- variations of pants where you kind of highlight the pants on, you know, whether it's just kind of stitching or some type of you know kind of outlinings, like something. There needs to be something. There definitely needs to be more gold, man. Don't steer away from it. That's one thing I liked about year one, as far as like the gold throne thing that Notre Dame did, or like with the recruits and stuff. Like accent that gold, man. Steer into it. Don't be afraid of the gold. Here's a question I want to ask everybody. I, I've said this before, and, and I have a feeling I'm, I'm going to be very much in the minority here. Uh-oh. <laughs> I would actually like to see Notre Dame do different uniform combinations. While staying would to, to their, would tra- their traditional colors. For example, one of the best ways to get gold in your pants, because here's the deal, it's almost impossible to match the gold in your helmet to a full solid color pant. like. Unless you're going to what do it, like you're going to bedazzle them and put like golden like sparkles on them. And that's about the only way you're going to get it to match. But what about a white pant with, you know, a gold stripe down the side or an interlocking ND? I think that would look really sharp. I think that like to me, if you're going to, if I'm going to design the perfect Notre Dame home uniform, and I don't think people would like this white pants with a gold stripe and a green interlocking ND, the blue jerseys, gold helmet with green gloves and cleats. That's what I would do. I think that'd be friggin' sharp. That's where I would go with it. But I just don't know if the traditionalists will allow Notre Dame to ever have anything but gold pants. That's the problem. Would you have any green in the uniform at all outside of the gloves and the the spikes? Yeah, the the ND would be interlocking. Like, to me, I don't want the – I want the green to be, like, to pop, you know, where it's not all over. I would do one green a year – in my opinion, I would do one green like Jersey game a year. The you know, like Marcus Freeman did last year. When when it's the Irish go wear green game, you should wear green, yeah. right? And so, but I that's why I like the idea of the gloves, the cleats, Ryan, because I think you could get the green to pop there like they did in the uh, I, like I loved that in the Cotton Bowl in 2018. I loved it. I never thought of it until they did it in the Cotton Bowl where the players had uh, green gloves and green helm or green cleats. Now it was with their road uniforms. I wouldn't be opposed to going a gold, blue, and blue for a home game a year, for like one home game a year. Like I just – I think when it comes to just the – now the jerseys, I'm not touching outside of one green a year. I'm not touching the jerseys. But the pants, I think you can mess with. I'm not messing with the helmets. They're pure gold, and that's it. I'm not putting logos on them. I'm not doing any of that stuff. It's, even on the Shamrock games, I personally would not mess with the helmet. I'd mess with the jersey and all that, but I'm not – like I, there's only been one – like the Michigan game in 2011 when they put just the shamrock on it. Do you remember that? I thought yeah. that was sweet, but that's it. That's the only thing I would do. I wouldn't do all that other stuff, but I would like, I wouldn't mind messing with the pants. I think they could do some stuff with the pants, the gloves and the cleats that would be really sharp and still stay true to who you are. Right. Cause 
I don't want to do the Oregon thing. We've got like a different color combination of every game. But I think there's some things you could do with the pants that could mix things up a little bit and make Notre and make it look really sharp, in my opinion. I do. So, so for the gold, blue, and blue, same question though. For the blue pants, you would still have like the gold striper and the interlocking, like that would be consistent in that look. Say that again. So, if you did the gold, blue, and blue for the pants, you would still have the gold stripe and the interlocking yes. still. Yeah. Well, okay. I don't know if I would do the gold stripe. I, I'd want to see what it looked like. I'm, I may, but I'll definitely have the green interlocking ND for sure. Yeah, for sure. Like I'd, yeah. I'd rather have that on the pants than like having it right here, you know, that kind of thing. But yeah, I think that'd look sharp. But I mean, I'm doing it for like one game a year. That, yeah. like, I just think that would look really cool. So that, that's my two cents. I, I imagine I don't, I don't most even people think, won't like that. I, was about to, I don't think you'll be in the minority for that one, actually. I don't think you will. Because I mean, it, it would mean a change from the mustards, right? So like that would be a thing. Well, that it's more so that people want to change from the mustard, but they want it to still be gold. They want it to be more of a gold. Because Notre Dame's... Other than Shamrock Series games, I don't know that Notre Dame's ever worn anything but gold pants. I don't, I don't believe they have. But like, you know what made me think of it, Ryan? Was I was looking? I remember thinking of like the Yankee Stadium games, the game, and remembering like I really liked the white pant blue top look. Now I understand some people didn't like the the stripes. I I, I, I was fine with it because of where you're you're playing in Yankee Stadium, right? So I, I, I got it. But I just thought the white and the blue looked really sharp. And, and and I didn't I had no problem with the helmet that game if I just take away the fact that I don't ever want to mess with the helmet. But that's our thing. Like, what would it look like if the helmet was still gold? And they had those that I think that would have been that would have looked awesome. So, but you know, I, I just that's just kind of my thing. But like the helmet's the one thing I'm not messing with. The jersey to a degree, I'm not messing with. People want to put names in the back, whatever. I don't care. I mean, I don't, I wouldn't, but I'm I'm okay with it. But I think the pants and the gloves and the hatch and the and the, the cleats, I think you could do some stuff with that would make it look really sharp and really modern. And especially since you're playing on turf now. Yeah. It's not like you're gonna be in these muddy games where you're, you know your white pants get all torn up. Those are things that I would do if it was up to me. Just just my just my two cents. All right, we got another super chat here from JKR Myers. This is Brian and Ryan. Hard to catch you live. Is there a schedule? By the way, I was at the 2007 fantasy camp. Coach Lewis was the favorite. I think Coach Brown was was uh, certifiably crazy, but I figured that was a good DC trait. Well, okay. I, I don't sure mean, I to, I don't mean to make light of his of what's happened to him in his life, but I think, and I'm not saying this flippantly, but I think we we came to find out that he had some problems. There were some things wrong with him. Yeah. Um, he punched out another coach in the head coach's office. And at the time you thought about it and you're like, well, yeah, cause I knew who that coach was and I would have punched the guy out too. But then you find out like that was just one of many things. And the guy just, the guy needed help. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm not saying that to make light of it, but yeah, he was, he was, there was something off with that guy big time, but yeah, Bill Lewis was, and was always so decent to the media, just very, you know, from everybody I've told, I, I never, he was, he left, I think before I got there, but just talking to other people, I, he was Bill, Bob, coach Elliott was great to them. He was so kind, so nice, such a, a, a just a great gentleman. Uh, it was very sad to hear that he, he passed away a few years back, but uh, schedule wise, Monday, we go at two o'clock, Tuesday to Friday, we go at one o'clock and then we have a six o'clock show every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday for now. Although uh, we'll eventually get back to having our Thursday shows. The Saturday show is a little on the, up in the air right now, just from a time frame standpoint. But usually if we have it, it'll be at two o'clock. So Monday, Saturday, two o'clock, Tuesday to Friday, one o'clock. That is, that is our schedule. 
All right, let's get to some more questions here, Mr. Roberts. Here's another one from John A1. I think this is the last of John's questions. Should Notre Dame make a similar deal with the Big Ten like it has with the ACC this, with less games, three to four? Well, the, you'd have to get rid of the big the ACC schedule. You couldn't play five ACC games a year and then three to four Big Ten games a year, and then you've got you you got Navy. So now, like ten of your twelve games are now taken up by, you know, good programs. I don't know if I would love that. It gives you less flexibility to go around and play other teams because then with those two games, Ryan, you basically have to play like Bowling Green cupcakes. And, yeah. yeah, I mean, and and I don't love that idea. I, I like that they're playing Texas A&M. I like that they scheduled Bama. I like that they scheduled Florida. I, I like, you know, I want to see more of that. So, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily do that. Now, if you were to say, Hey, we're going to get rid of the ACC schedule. And instead of doing the ACC schedule, we're going to be, you know, sort of a co partner with the big 10 and our other sports are going to be in the big 10. I, I don't like the big 10. I don't, I don't want the big 10 to be part of anything Notre Dame does, but if they wanted to go that route, as long as it's not full membership for football, I'm fine. Play a four to five game schedule against the Big Ten every year, and you know, two to three against the ACC, and you know, just keep it smaller. I would say that, like, if you said two games a year with the Big Ten or three at the most, I'd say okay, I can I can dig that as long as we have some sort of um, say in it, you know, because I don't want you to give yeah. us Michigan, 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 Ohio State, Penn State one year. You know, we've also got to play Bama and USC. You know what I mean, like. There need to be throw, some throw a Rutgers yeah. in there. You got to throw a Rutgers right, in there. Right, right, <laughs> exactly, exactly. And come to so, Rutgers so I can go to the game. That would be a fantastic little. There you go. There you go. Yeah. Or just play Syracuse again. And every every they'll once every now twenty years they'll actually play in the dome. Normally they play at the Meadowlands, which would work for you as well. So there you go. But that would definitely work for me. That would definitely work for me. Yep. Uh, let's see here. Michael Collins uh, with another super, with another question. Here we go, Michael. Are there any early front runners for the general manager position? Does it make sense for Chad Bowden to be named or stay in the current role? Did Bill Reese leave Notre Dame or is he on the staff? I don't know if he's left for sure yet, but he will not be part of Notre Dame moving forward if he, if he hasn't already done so. And I was actually told that that was going to happen at the bowl game. So that was always going to be in play. Early front runner, I, I don't know that there is one right now. Does it make sense for Chad Bowe to be named or stay in his current role? It depends on what that role is going to be. Yeah, you know, I, I think that the reality is is I think that general manager job and how I envision it needs to be more of a I need to make sure everybody's on the same page and everybody's moving in the same direction, and that I'm in charge of okay people that are scouting college football like it, it, the GM's got to have people that are it, it's almost like an NFL GM to some degree, in that I've got a department that does scouting of other college football teams so we know who's out there. Uh, I have a scout a group that's in charge of recruiting high school players and doing that part of it. I need to make sure all the coaches are on the same page and all those type of things. So, and, and I need to make sure everybody's on the same page for me. That person doesn't need to be like an NFL GM where they're having a strong say in who they decide on that right. should be coaches and Chad. And that's where that should be. And Chad needs, and the reason I don't want Chad in this job per se is because if it goes in that role, I think that takes away from what Chad does best, which is recruit the players. I mean, that, that's yeah. the thing is recruiting players and he's got a very good eye for talent. And so that's, that would be my hesitancy to having him in a traditional GM role. 
is you're taking that away from him a little bit. So as long as as long as he would be able to do that, then I'd be fine with him taking that role. But I think that needs to be more from an executive position, someone who's guiding everyone, making sure everybody's on the same page. We're communicating. Our scholarship numbers are here. We've got to be careful there. We've got to make sure that everyone's on the same page. That person can then, you know, maybe hold coaches accountable if they're not doing their job. But at the end of the day, the difference between a GM in this situation and the NFL is the head coach and college should always, always be at the very top of the food chain. I don't believe that to be true in the NFL. And part of that is because in the NFL, you have a salary cap to deal with and a lot of different rules to acquiring talent and tampering that you, you can't have a coach involved in. That's not the case in, in here in college football. The head coach should always be on the top of the food chain in college football, in my opinion. And, and I wouldn't even have the GM number two, per se. It would be more of a player person, a, a more advanced player personnel type of thing would be what I would want to do. I don't want to have a GM that's like going to tell the coach, well, I know you may like this player, but we're going to take this kid instead. That That's not what I want to see. This is such a foreign concept. I, I mean, I guess my first question for if even trying to figure out who early front runners are for this position, like what pool are you pulling from? I, I don't, is, is there an answer there, Brian? Like what, what, what is like, if I'm trying to find a general manager candidate at Notre Dame, like where am I looking? is my question, right? Am I looking for a guy that has a player personnel background? Am I looking for a guy that's coming? Like where, what type of person am I looking for in that position? Cause it's just such a new concept, you know, like I, I honestly don't understand. Like, I would just like to know like what, I mean, cause if you're have a coaching hire, I know what pool I'm looking for. I'm looking for another coach, right? But this is such a new position. It's like player personnel side, organizational side. Do you want a football guy? Do you want a guy that's just more of a, Business, like a more of an organizational perspective type of dude. Like what pool are you pulling from? Not I sure mean, that's, that. I, that, I don't, that's I don't the question. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and I think, I think in college football, it, it, Ryan, it can go in different directions. Some team may do it this way. Like Clark Lee has Bart. That's kind of the role that Barton Simmons has at Vanderbilt. Yeah. Which I think maybe it'd be a little bit different than maybe what it is at Notre Dame. As long as Ron Paulus isn't considered for that job, I mean, I'm open to a lot of different candidates, and I'm sure. not saying that flippantly. Yeah, uh, I think there's a lot of things that, that that role could do well, but I want it to be more of an overseer, keeping everyone on the same page and doing things like that. Someone who may be a face of the program. I think somebody made a good point about Jerome Bettis. I don't know if Jerome would want that job, but like, it also is not bad to have someone who's a name, you know. So like, this is the GM. So it's a big name. He may not have the pull that Chad has or that coach Freeman has, but when kids are on campus, that's another big name in a, in a very important position. And it, cause it would be an important position. It's just not a final say position, right? It's not like right. a ceremonial thing, but if you could get like a Jerome Bettis, for example, that, that David Jones brought up, boy, that'd be great. Cause David could have coach Bettis or Jerome would have some roles and responsibilities and things like that. But he's also, like the head coach of a figurehead. He's someone that, Assembly. wow, I, yeah. you know, I, I got, you know, so-and-so showed me around. So then you've got two huge recruits on campus. Coach Freeman's over here with this kid. And then coach Bettis is over here with this kid. And then they switch. And it's like that kid just, you know, with, with somebody big time the entire time. And so uh, it, there's a lot of different ways you can go with it. You just, you just got to make sure that you, it's very clearly defined. Yeah. And, and Marcus, here's the thing. Marcus Freeman better be the one designing what the GM is going to do. If this is Jack and Ron 
in forcing what the GM is going to do on him, that's a mistake. And it wouldn't surprise me. I don't have any evidence that that's what they're doing. So hear me. I have no evidence of that. That's my fear, however, that it's going to be the case. And so um, that would be a, a big concern. And somebody asked, is Dave Polokan qualified? Not even close. I would not have Dave Polokan working in my football office in about any capacity. So no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. All right, let's get to the next question here. Irish blooded with a question mark. Here we go. What would you think of Notre Dame remaining? It's renaming Rename. its basketball co- uh, court after Coach McGraw. Coach McGraw, and if there are any, let me restart this. I cannot read right now. What would you think of Notre Dame renaming its basketball court after Coach McGraw? And is there any other Power Five courts named after a female coach? I don't know. Uh, if there are, to be honest with you, uh, I don't know. Does every men's and women's team play in the same? Chair? I, I, mean, I imagine, they all, I they imagine all a lot too, arena? probably. Well, probably a lot too. I don't know if okay. everyone does though. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. So uh, I, I would imagine they do. I'd have no problem with it. Like if, I, I don't know if like, if you start Tennessee, I could see Tennessee doing something like that for, for Pat Summit. That makes sense. Uh, Look, there's no one in Notre Dame's history that ever came close to the success that Muffet had, with all due respect <laughs> to Digger Phelps. Not, not even close. No. You're talking about someone who won two national championships in two different eras, right? Uh, has been to the Final Four, I mean, how many times? I'm actually going to look it up. I mean, uh, a lot of times. I mean, even in the yeah. last decade she was in the of her career, she was there a lot of different times. So, you know, Coach McGraw, four-time AP Coach of the Year, three-time Naismith Coach of the Year, Three-time USB uh, USBWA Coach of the Year, uh, she won. See, two national titles. She was in nine Final Fours. That's uh, wild. She won five ACC championships. She won three Big East regular season championships. Uh, I mean, you're talking about someone who just was a dominant, dominant coach for a long time. A rec- had had over 800 wins at Notre Dame. Over 800 wins at Notre Dame has over 900 wins for her career. She won 30 or more games in, let's see, one, two, three, four, eight, nine of her last 10 seasons. She won <laughs> silly, 30 man. or more games. Silly. And so, yeah, the basketball, if they want to name the basketball, have Muffet's name on the basketball court, yeah, go for it. Like, why not? If a bat, if a men's coach had the success that Muffet had for as long as Muffet had it, Coach McGraw had it, his name absolutely would be on the court the minute oh, he no retired. Doubt. No doubt. You know yeah. what I mean? So, yeah, I, I would absolutely. Uh, now, again, here's here's the problem. Uh, I'm going to actually, I don't, I know it's per self pavilion. Let, let me see what, if, is the court name something different? It's per self pavilion at the Joyce Center. So here's the, here's, let me see. I'm curious what Purcell is named after. Uh Named the Manier Philip J. Purcell. I would imagine that person got their name from donors. You know what I mean? Uh, or from that person giving money. So that would make it, you know, then it's what? Muffet McGraw Court in Purcell Pavilion in yeah. the Joyce Center. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so it's like it gets a little goofy at that point in time. But yeah, I mean, it. it I, first of all, I would never name a court after someone. I would maybe name the facilities after it. But if you're going to do that sort of thing, Gino, 
Pat Summit and Muffin McGraw should all, I don't care what their men's teams did. Their men's teams never came close to the success that they had. Just and and UConn's men's basketball team has won a couple championships. Yeah. Right? They've won three, right? Ollie won one, and then Jim Calhoun won two, didn't he? Jim Calhoun did a great three. job with that program. Yeah. But with all yeah. due respect, Geno's had more like straight national titles <laughs> than, <laughs> than the men, right? I mean, I believe I'm correct on that. Didn't they win three titles G- at one point in time in his career? G- it was a ridiculous stretch that UConn was on, yeah, they, man. Ridiculous yeah, stretch. yeah, they had they've twice they've no they they've won they won three in a row from 01 to 04, and then they won four in a row from 12 13 to 15 16. So yeah, so uh, and, and, and and if it wasn't for Muffet, Gino would have a couple more national titles. It's true. That's true. Pat Summit so, was a good mention too, man. Yeah. Uh, her. The consistency she had throughout her career was wild. Remember the Candace yeah. Parker years? They were incredible. Yeah. Absolutely. To back incredible. up my point, from night from the 1999 to 2000 season through the 2003-04 season, that's a stretch of five years. UConn won four national titles. The one year they didn't win the national title was the 2000-2001 season when Notre Dame won it with Niall Ivy and Ruth Riley. If you remember that team at all, Ryan. So uh, yeah, I would say. Like I said, if it wasn't for uh, for Muffet, <laughs> Gino would probably have a couple other uh, national titles in his, in, in his in his docket. Like I know they beat him well, a couple years ago, right? Um, yeah, in, in the championship yeah. game or Final Four, right? Erika Agumbawale, she won the the Final Four game. They beat Mississippi State in the championship game, but she hit a, bu- a bucket at the end against UConn to beat them in that season as well. So, uh, yeah, I would say. I want to. I want to look up Gino's career record. It's probably like the it's most ridiculous. ridiculous thing of all time. Yeah. He's won 1,111, 1,171 games. He's won and he's lost one hundred fifty five. His, <laughs> his his conference record is five hundred sixty eight and sixty four. It's gross, just man. stupid. You had over a yeah. thousand more wins and losses. That's just yeah wild. The last time that his team did not make the Final Four was the two thousand six and two thousand seven season. Where they didn't it's make the final good. four, and, and I don't count the COVID year because nobody made it that year. So it's a decent yeah. year, decent run, decent run. Gino yeah. Rianim has been on, yeah, not bad. But yes, if you're gonna if you're into the naming courts after coaches, then absolutely Muffin McGraw deserves to have the court at Notre Dame named after her. No question, no question. We don't get many women's basketball questions here, so that's a, that's a good one. Uh, let's go from Joe Papiti. Joe says, with all the decent openings in the, in the National Football League, do you find it troubling, interesting that Golden was not interviewed? I don't. I don't know that uh, he wasn't interviewed. I don't know that he was or wasn't. I mean, just because he didn't get a job or take a job doesn't mean he wasn't interviewed. And I'm not. I'm not leaking something or hinting at something. I'm saying I don't know. Just because we didn't hear anything doesn't mean that it didn't happen. Right. And you um, you also you also don't get a lot of like you don't get a lot of coordinator to coordinator from college to the NFL a ton. Like that doesn't happen a ton, really. Well, it would make sense it. for him because he would he if if Al Golden didn't come to Notre Dame, he's a guy that's on the verge of getting a coordinator job in the NFL, based on Possibly. the you know the experience he had. Uh, we had heard plenty that the if the DC from the Bengals was going to get the Arizona job, that he was going to bring Al Golden with him to be the D coordinator. That's what we had heard. Sure. So it, it'll happen if you have a guy that has an NFL experience and Al Golden was building up a pretty good reputation as a position coach in the NFL. So, uh, no, I'm, I'm not, I don't find it troubling at all. Uh, find it interesting at all. I mean, 
that's just kind of how it goes. It's it's and there's still plenty of jobs to be had. I kind of wish he'd go back to the NFL just because I think that's where his heart is, to be honest with you. I don't I he has not shown me that he has a passion for being a college football coach again. The, the, like for him, grinding on the recruiting trail is literally throwing out more linebacker offers than I've ever seen in my life. Only be only to be outdone by the number of defensive line offers they've put out this year. It's 25 linebacker offers right now. Yeah. And so it's like, you got to eventually start recruiting someone, you know what I mean? And so uh, I just, I don't know if he has the grind. Now I I think Al. here's the thing, Al Golden. I've said this from the minute he was hired before he was hired. He is a good, decent man. He, and he's a good football coach. I just don't think he's cut out for the current college game in, in, in certain ways. Meaning you gotta you gotta bring your level down to ma- match what the kids can do. Number one, I don't think he wants to do that. He wants to be the NFL guy. Number two, you've got to deal with the NIL. St- you've got to you, you got to do the NFL NIL stuff. Just a part of it. Number three, in college you've got to rec- you've got to coach your whole roster, right? Your whole depth chart. You're not just your starters and your key reserves. And number four, you got to put in work on the recruiting trail. And in none of those areas has he shown me a willingness to do that right now. Right. And so that's why I'm critical of him. I don't like being critical of him. I've met Al Golden three or four times back in my coaching career, and he was a good, decent, respectful man. He did not big time us because we were at smaller levels. Very good man, very smart. It's just, I don't think that he is willing to do what it takes to be a great college coach right now, in my opinion. That's my concern. If Al Golden have sort of a a come to Jesus moment this offseason and realize, like, look, I want to be in college, I want to impact people's lives. And and he wanted to do it, then he would be fine. He would be great, in my opinion, because it would mean he'd he'd bring the offense, the defense down, and it's not always as much about how smart he is. He would start coaching the entire group, and he would start grinding on the recruiting trail. And if he did that, Ryan, I, great, because he is a smart guy. It's just I don't think he's willing to do that. That's my concern. And if he is, then we're fine. And I'm glad NFL teams aren't coming at him. Right? I mean, that's where I'm at. That's where I'm at. All right, next question here from uh, – I'm going to go – I'm going to skip some of these GMs because I think we kind of already talked about those. we got one from Tyler Erig. Just wondering why the quarterback coach hiring hasn't officially been announced right, yet. Didn't right. think the administration process would take this long. I should have. I should have, yeah. yeah I, didn't, I didn't quite read that one. But, yeah, look, it, it's been less than a week. Yeah. I mean, it was what announced – what day was it announced? It was this week, correct? Wasn't it earlier this week that Gino – was it, that we we got word of uh, Dino Gadouli was going to be the guy, correct? What day did we publish that story? I thought it was last week, wasn't it? No, it, it was last week. It would have been the yeah. 15th. So yeah. we're nine days. It's not that far off. And honestly, yeah. part of it is because they had the they had the thing with the coach this week. You know, they're going through these interview hires. I, I'm just I, I'm just not worried about it. There's no there's no holdups. There's no hiccups. There's no issues. Yeah. Just, just, on, it's just onboarding stuff. I mean, that, yes. I mean, why did it take so little time for Jared Parker to make? Because he was on staff already. You already had right. the background check stuff done. Right. I mean, that stuff is already done with. So it's just and people freaked stuff. out about how long it took with Harry last year too. It's just there's just yeah. contract negotiations and not negotiations, but like contract things that have to get worked out because he's going from one contract to another. So you got to get yeah. certain things done and things like that. It just takes a little bit of time. <laughs> we
Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks. You're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen.